The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to The Power to Create Yourself with Ross Rameen. If you or someone you are close to is dealing with addiction, there are so many programs out there that can help you. But how do you gauge which ones are going to work the best for you? Some are expensive. Some deal with some of the issues, but don't get to the heart of the matter. Others treat the problem at a basic level, but don't determine ultimate success. Join us now for an hour that sets out to be truly groundbreaking and will help you discover how to find the best program for your addiction problem. Now, here is Ross Rameen. Hi, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today. This is Ross Rameen, and I uh, can't thank you enough for joining us. We're coming to you from Los Angeles, California at the Rebos Treatment Center um, here in L.A. Uh, we appreciate you coming uh, joining us each and every Tuesday morning. Um, I We have another edition of Client Files for you today. It's been very popular with um, the emails that have sent in, and people are really liking the the fact that we that I bring in people that are in early recovery or actually all sorts of recovery and really kind of giving their stories, uh, what they've been through, what they haven't been through, giving them some ideas about how to improve on themselves. Um, sometimes we got to call people out on their BS. Um, sometimes uh, we just applaud them for uh, for their heroics and what's going on. And so today will be no different. Um, we have Weston joining us today. Uh, he is from Texas and he... Um, Weston, welcome to the show. Thanks. Yeah, you got how, how many days are you sober now? 39 days. 39 days sober. 39. How old are you? I'm 34. It's 34 years old. Yeah. Right on, man. How is it going? I know you've tried to get sober before. Yes. How many uh, How many times have you tried? Uh, this is my second go around. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, I guess it was November 2015. I mm-hmm. came out uh, trying to kick meth mm-hmm. and kicked it, went back home and kept drinking yeah so now i'm back here trying to kick the alcohol i want to talk about the how you went home and kept drinking i want to get to that in a second because a lot of people when they get sober they're like well i have a meth problem or i have a alcohol problem and they they do something else so i see a lot of people with meth cocaine heroin they're like well i'll just keep drinking or um, or I'll just smoke weed, or I'll do this. So I really, you know, in our second segment, I want to get into that. Absolutely. I want to know why that was a pitfall for you. I know why it is sure. for me, but I want to know why it was for you. Um, first and foremost, how did this come about? I mean, you were just like a lot of the people that I bring on the show. You don't look like a guy that smokes meth. <laughs> you don't. No, I don't. Your teeth are straight. <laughs> They're clean. I mean, and I say this respectfully to anybody, but people have an idea of what people that smoke meth, that are wicked drug addicts, you know, they have skid row. And, I, you know, I don't look like a former crackhead. You know, I don't think I do. I wear Brooks Brothers shirts and I'm, you know, I, I tuck in my shirt. I'm nice. I pl- I'm nah, polite. You're a handsome man. Don't I, I am very handsome. <laughs> um, but you don't look like the stereotypical that society thinks. No. And I always try to prove the point that. You're a sleeper. We have sleeper cells. I call them the sleeper cells <laughs> that there are just regular looking folk that, yep. you know, it, yeah, <laughs> just regular folk. And you're married. Yes, you have sir. kids. I have one. I have a son. 13 yeah. years old. Yeah. So let's talk about enjoy. this. How did you start smoking meth? Well, um, it all started when. I couldn't get Adderall anymore. I was prescribed Adderall and started abusing Adderall. <clears throat> I guess in my early twenties. Why were you? Well, how old were you when you were prescribed Adderall? I was twenty-four. Twenty-four. Mm-hmm. Why were you prescribed it? Because I wanted Adderall. <laughs> Boom. Yeah, it was. It was just. Would you tell the doctor? Drug seeking. I told the doctor, you know, which wasn't all BS, but I told him I uh, couldn't focus. You know, started. All kinds of projects, never finished one of them. Uh, just, you know, lack of. So, well, why'd you want Adderall? Like, what got you onto that? 
Well, uh, I've always been kind of, I don't know, uh, I could sleep all day if you let me, you know, just uh, kind of had a hard time get, getting my engine revved up at times, and Adderall gave me energy and, and kept me up, hey. and I also worked in the oil field, so I was like working long hours, and, and Adderall helped. You wanted the extra fuel. Right. You wanted more than coffee. Exactly. Got it. Got it. What, um, so what, Adderall, you know, I, I get so dumbfounded by it, but it is literally synthetic cocaine. If not stronger. I mean, if you, I was taking 10 a day. You were hopped I up. was wired for sound. I mean, I was <laughs> wired for sound. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, whew, I was wide eyed and ready to go yeah. at all times, you know? Yeah. Uh, I was doing a job that required a lot of traveling, a lot of driving. Yeah. And, uh, man, it, it, it came really easy. I, I started abusing Adderall almost immediately. I mean, I was taking 30 a month and that went to 60 a month, went to the doctor, got, got it up to 90 a month. And then he wouldn't give me any more, so... Why like, wouldn't he give you any more? Because he said, any more Adderall, like, if you're taking any more than what I'm prescribing you now, it's not going to do anything. It only does so much, you know? Uh, three a day should have been enough. I was taking three 30 milligrams, or I was supposed to be taking three 30 milligrams a day. How uh, much would you take? you take up to 10? I would go through them in about a week and a half to two weeks. You'd go through a month's supply in a week? Oh, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Good drug addict you are. Yeah, and you know I was I was stingy with them too. I wasn't one of those guys that just handed them out. Yeah, so I was taking all of them. But, I get it. Uh, yeah, and then he, you know, he wouldn't give me any more. So how'd you find your How'd you find your way into treatment over a year ago? Oh, the first man. time you went in here. First what, time I came what in. What went down? Man, I had uh, I'd been using meth for. And you you went to meth because you couldn't get any right. more. Yeah, couldn't get any more Adderall. Uh, State of Texas came up with the system that doctors and pharmacies, you know, were uh, could share information. They found out who was abusing the system, basically. So I went to go get my script filled one day, and they were like, no, we're not going to fill your script because you've been, you know, getting Adderall from three different doctors for over the past two years. Or They're something. comparing notes. Absolutely. So couldn't get Adderall anymore. And... Uh, a friend of mine, uh, you know, he said, he said, well, why, have you ever tried meth? I said, yeah, I tried it, you know, years ago, but didn't really like it. Were you ever like a drug addict where like you're doing coke? I mean, besides, I mean, besides like kind of, I always call it like, I want, you know, people, when I talk to people, I'm like, did you go to college? Like, you know, like, I, I mean, were you ever doing drugs? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was, man. I started smoking pot when I was 13 and smoked pot till I got on Adderall, honestly. Really? And then it just made it, you know, Adderall and pot, they don't really mix for yeah. me. Makes me just fucking weird, you know? Yeah. So, anyways, uh, yeah. Uh, from, from weed, I went to, like, opiates. I've never done heroin. Mm -hmm. uh, never... Don't so what would this turn you into? You're doing meth now. What you mean to find your way into treatment? I think is one of the biggest blessings on the planet because Absolutely. if you do this right, you will actually learn more in a month than you can in an entire college education about yourself. <laughs> sure. I literally say in my 90 days of inpatient treatment, I became more dialed in than any schooling that I ever got about that taught me about myself. It was unbelievable. So. You know, just it almost as a side note. So you finding your way to treatment is not an easy thing. You just don't come. What happened? Okay, so uh, I'd been using meth, and uh, gambling became a, another addiction. You know, I, I used to despise gambling, hated gambling, thought anyone who did was just a fool, you know. And uh, so I was using meth started gambling started using more meth so I, I was going to work all day and gambling all night uh someone really close to me was kind of my partner in crime there for a while and uh he was able to get away from it i wasn't 
and it raised a lot of red flags with him and my family and uh they had seen enough you know they uh they approached me and uh offered to get me help so i took it after you know how long did it take them to convince you to do it i didn't take them long really i knew i needed help really i had gotten or did you just do it to get them off your back no, I mean, knowing you needed I, help is one thing, but I mean, were you like, yeah, let's go. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't that easy. Uh, you know, I've, like I said, I've got a 13 year old son, a wife. Uh, did your son know that you were doing drugs? I'm sure he did. He didn't know for sure. And he's, he'd never seen me do them like, you know, actually caught in the act of doing them. But, uh, he knew there was something off with dad, you know? Yeah. There was just something that wasn't right. Um, he did know I had a gambling problem. He knew that. Um, what are you gambling on? Anything and everything. <laughs> Sweet mother of Mary. Yeah. Um, gambling just doesn't make sense to me. Sitting at the tables, machines. I actually won a lot of money uh, playing slot machines, but, you know, you have to pay taxes on all that. And <laughs> You think I saved any of that money that I'd won to pay those taxes? Wow. Hell no. Uh, but anyways, yeah, I liked, I loved gambling. So but you got into treatment. So wait, so you get into treatment. They they sent me out here. Yeah, yeah. I was very fortunate uh, to have a family member who is involved with treatment. You know, mutual friend of ours, uh, and so blessed that I had, he gave me the opportunity to come out here, you know, and he's been through same thing. Um, and after I got out here, I was, you know, I went 90 days here, um, and went home and I didn't last two months, you know, but felt bad, felt really bad. I felt like I let everybody down, uh, and uh, what a year and a half later, get another opportunity. So, got to make it right this time. Got to make it work. When you came out here and you got sober, tried to get sober for the first time, mm -hmm. what was treatment like for you then? Oh man, it was. Uh, I didn't know what to expect, you know. Yeah. But um, never knew. Would you put your? Would you put up? You know, you come in here, and and this goes for pretty much anybody that's in treatment. Okay, they come into treatment, they they're they're out running wild. Okay, and then people usually sit down with them and they're like, you know, what? you got a problem. Yeah. You know, you, you got a problem, and you're doing too much coke, you're doing too much meth, you're drinking too much, whatever it is, and we got to get you better. So they ship them off, and they're going to get better. And then people and I, hey, I I speak as a guy who's been to treatment more times than I needed admit to, but it's been eight and a half. And I, uh, it was very difficult. I mean, I thought, did you underestimate it? Um, yeah, I did underestimate it. I mean, um, did you underestimate I, how addicted you were? Oh, man. Or. Absolutely. Or what did you underestimate? I underestimated both. I underestimated, underestimated my addiction. Um, and I also underestimated rehab. I thought rehab was basically getting sober and that was it you know quitting drugs i had no idea that i was in for uh, all this knowledge of myself like i was going to gain so much understanding about who i am and why i do what i do um as far as my addiction goes and yeah but you know coming into it i thought when i heard rehab i, I just thought uh you know, like institution, like everything I thought about rehab was, this is going to be, I'm on lockdown and, and it's not like that at all. You know, it's, uh, it's totally different from what I was expecting. But it, at the same time, the first time I came in, you know, being 30, I was 32 years old, uh, I'm in here with a lot of young, early twenties and 18, 19 year olds. And, uh, I actually get a lot out of, their shares, you know, and, and what they've been through. Uh, 
it's it's kind of neat hearing their stories you know some of them have some really rough pasts and uh get a lot out of that what is you know we're gonna go to a break in a second but you know, you, you come in here and you, you try to get sober and you and you, you just talked about you, uh, about self-knowledge that you didn't know that you were going to get into. You thought this was a physical thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you went in here thinking it was a physical thing. Just can't do meth anymore. Right. Correct? Yeah, that's, that's correct. And it was really hard for me. It's still the second go around here. Do you love meth? Yeah, I loved meth. Of course. Yeah, I mean, do you still love it though? Yeah, I do. I mean, I do still love meth. You know, I'm, I can't. I know I can't do Isn't it. Checked up. It is messed up. It's a, no. I I speak to you as like I love cocaine. I just cannot. I I just think it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's just nuts, and it destroyed my life. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's really, it's un unreal how it just how it has so much control over your mind. You know, and. Uh, it's literally like I find it like an like it's like an ex boyfriend or girlfriend. You know, for me, it's like an ex girlfriend. They're drop dead gorgeous. You know, they got the curves, they got the whole bit, and they will literally like bite your head off, roll it down the road, attack your family, your mom, your everybody else. But it's like I gotta go back to her. Yeah, I gotta crazy. go back to her. And it's like this woman literally just cut my head off. It's like <laughs> cocaine literally put me in jail multiple times, lost my family, everything. And it's like. Mm, those were the days like it's i'll never understand it's unbelievable i'll never understand i've been straight almost 10 years and it's like it still does that listen i want to take a quick break and i want to get into this drinking thing why you relapsed okay sounds good thanks for joining us everybody uh this is the power to create yourself we're coming to you from los angeles california at the rebos treatment center uh we'll be right back after this quick break We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Getting sober isn't just about not drinking and not doing drugs. It's a way of life. At Rebos, we have a team of talented professionals, each with their own clear and distinct message to walk clients from the darkest point in their lives out into the light. Rebos offers a carefully curated selection of groups and workshops in addition to a minimum of six individual sessions per week. At Rebos, we believe there are no cookie-cutter clients, and we meet every individual where they are at today. It's not a Rebos program. It's your program. Our team wants to help as many people as possible become who they want to be. And if you don't know who you want to be, we'll help you. Visit Rebostreatment.com to learn more about the Rebos Treatment Center. That's R-E-B-O-S Treatment.com. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to The Power to Create Yourself with Ross Ramin. To find out more about Ross and the program, visit the Rebos Treatment Center website at Rebostreatment.com. Now, back to the power to create yourself. Hi, welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we're doing another episode of Client Files right now, and we have Weston with us, and he's um, he's 34 years old. He's from Texas, and um, he was addicted to meth uh, for, a, for a long time. Um, got going on Adderall, like we hear a lot of the people that come on our show and just people in general. We have this huge, epic pill problem in this country and across the world. It's unbelievable. It's people, Weston, they, I had a guy on last week and we came up with a new phrase and 
you know, when I when I was younger, you know, you go into like your parents like your little liquor cabinet and you take some liquor from them, you know, and so you take a little of this and your other buddy would take a little bit of that from their cabinet and you know you get together and maybe you get a like a really bad um, bag of weed and you know what that's what you did. Right. It was no big deal. Nowadays, I get clients that come in here and they always say weed is this gateway drug, <laughs> and for us maybe I guess it was, but you know or. But nowadays, I had a guy on the other week that his first time doing drugs, what he did, he didn't go into his parents' liquor cabinet. He went into his parents' medicine cabinet. So the medicine, and he's taking drugs, Xanax and Adderalls and Oxys from his parents. Yeah. Like, that's how they roll now. Like, that's (laughs) what it is. I mean, I literally get clients in here, these like 20, 20 year olds, they're like, I'm like, yes, yeah, so when's the last time you smoked weed? He's like, never smoked weed. I'm like, what do you mean never? And he's like, no, it's, so I think it's so important. And one of my missions is I'm trying to make it. It's like, you have a doctor that literally, you just BS the living hell out of a doctor to get you Adderall. Right. Literally BS them. Oh, sure. Yeah. And then that goes, because then you can't get that. And then you got to get math. Right. And the same thing happens with these opiates. You know, they somebody hurts himself legitimately. Like your knee goes, your hip, something goes, your back, and you have to get like you know some pain pills. Sure. Like real, like real stuff. Yeah, I was 13 years old and uh, had had to go get my wisdom teeth pulled. And uh, I remember going back, and my mom actually works for the dentist who did it. And I would tell my mom, I'd call her and say, "Mom, I'm." already went through all these pain pills. I got like four refills and within like two weeks, you know, just that, that was my first experience with painkillers and, uh, hydrocodone. And after that, it was on, I did exactly what you said, which is nuts because cabinet. I literally had my wisdom teeth taken out two years ago. No. Yeah. About two and a half years ago. And it was kind of gnarly how they did it. They didn't even knock me out. They just did it with Novocaine, all four of them. Oh and I'm God. 40 years, 39, 40 years old. Oh, my gosh. They didn't even knock me out. They're like, <laughs> the guy literally put his foot up onto the chair. He's like, pull away from me. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and he goes, I got through no pain pills. That's holistic medicine right there. What that was was ibuprofen. Oh, my gosh. And I got through it. Right. I got through it. I remember I shattered my wrist, my right wrist. And this is when I was a drug addict. And I went through it with nothing. One of our case managers that's downstairs, Dave, on New Year's Day, he literally broke his foot. He was skiing. His whole foot inside of his ski boot, like, broke. Like, went, did a Louie. Like, took, like, I mean, it was, his foot was at a right angle inside of a ski boot. It's disgusting. He had pain pills for the first few hours before surgery because they had to put plates in and then they had to take the ski boot off of him. Mm. So they did put him on pain pills. But then the next day in the hospital, he told them that he was a drug addict. And you know what they did? They gave him an IV of ibuprofen, <laughs> which was basically like of Advil. And, right. it, and he was like, this is great. He didn't get the constipation. He wasn't all jacked up. Right. And he did the whole thing. My wife broke her back in six spots. She did a little bit of Valium for a couple days and got off of it. Everybody's, these doctors are like, you got to have the pain pills. You got to have this. And it's, no, you don't. They're so, these doctors are just giving, they're, they're drug dealers. I'm, they just drive me nuts. I agree. But anyway, so you got sober uh, over a year ago and then you went home and you started drinking. Yeah, I mean, really, it was like I never stopped drinking, you know. Uh, did you literally, did you leave here and just, did you start drinking the day you left? No, I didn't start immediately. Um, I gave it an honest go, you know, and uh, it was it was really hard. I went back uh, right at Thanksgiving, so I had, I went, went home. The next day, we went to Thanksgiving, had Christmas right after. And that was really tough, man. Everybody's drinking, and it was it was like torture for me. Because I came in the first time, came into Rebos with the mindset of, like you said earlier, I'm a meth addict. I'm, I'm not an alcoholic. Yeah. I'm still going to drink. I, you know, uh, that was 
I thought it was okay then. You warned me. You told me it was not okay. Everyone did. But uh, I thought I was different. Hey, man, I, I, you know, I love you for saying it. I was the same way. I literally, to this day, do not think I'm an alcoholic. Honest to God, I do not think I personally, Ross Ramin, am an alcoholic at all. But one thing that I did learn was that, and I really went through this. I, I really, like, I really searched for this one. When, this is like 15 years ago when I first went to treatment. And I was in and out. It was like, I don't, I honestly don't think about alcohol the way I think about cocaine or think about weed. Like, I just don't. It, it was different. Right. I, I was comparing it to like like girls that I date and girls that are my friends. <laughs> like that's good. I don't I don't lust over this girl. She's just my buddy. You know, like we we, we would go in Chicago. We go to the you know we go to the Cubs game. It wasn't it, it wasn't like crossing a line in my head. You know, like maybe we'll get a couple cocktails. No, it just it wasn't like that. We just you know high five, have a great time, and that's what it was. But and I, I remember telling you this. It's like but. Getting sober is is so about um, it, you really got to figure out what it is in the sense of getting sober is about having your own feelings and your own emotions. Right. hundred percent. You being you, dealing with the ups and dealing with the downs, you know, being comfortable with yourself. And I quickly found that out because I was like, I'm not an alcoholic, so I'm just going to have a beer. And then I had a beer and then for some reason – all of a sudden, I would like I had an eight ball of cocaine in my pocket. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, and I was like, "What's going?" On? But I would stop drinking then. I would just do the coke. Mm-hmm. And then after a while, it was like, "What is going on?" And then I realized. Then I then I went to non-alcoholic beer. Oh, I tried that too. And I'd have six of them, and the and all I would have to do is I would have to take a piss, and my head was like, "Okay, you've had six beers." You're taking a piss. That's what you would do after six beers. It tastes like regular beer, but where's the buzz? It literally made me angry. <laughs> right. And so then I just got so mad that I went and just got a, um, I went and just started drinking anyway. My body was just like, I want this. It was weird. But then what I really realized was, is I haven't, I think give or take, like right about now is kind of like my sober birthday from alcohol. My sober birthday from cocaine and all that is in June. But I quickly learned beforehand that when and I got so that I'm sober now is the reason why I don't drink is just is because it alters my uh, my perception. Absolutely, it does. Yeah, it's the girl gets better looking at the end of the bar the more you drink for me, and whether it's I'm having one whether I'm having one beer or ten beers. Depending on my mood, how much food I've had, that could be three beers and a sip where my head starts going to, an eight ball sounds good. Or yeah. that person at the end of the bar, that girl, that she looks really, she's getting better looking, you know? That's and I don't know what that is because some days I can have three beers and I'm fine. And some days I'll have six beers and it'll affect me the same way as the three beers. Just kind of depends on where you're at. But I don't know where the happy medium is. And so now, and I and I tell you this is for your your sobriety and I'm not trying to lecture you but I want you to have success for this is you cannot leave here until you grasp who you are and what you stand for and that's the only way that I got straight because you watched your family members go back at Thanksgiving which by the way is a gnarly time to go back you tried to tell me that too back (laughs) (laughs) but it's hard this is a mental game because you physically and people got to realize that this isn't a physical desire that you had. Yeah, it, it was it was hard. Um, and what what amazed me about the alcohol is how how fast just two or three beers in the evening turned into a handle of vodka a day. So fast. So were you drinking more just now than you were before? Yeah, way more. I mean, you know, when you're on uppers like Adderall and meth, you don't drink a whole lot, you know, and and that's and part- if you do drink, you could drink a ton, yeah, right? But it does nothing, so why do it? And uh, so I came in thinking, well, I'm not an alcoholic just because I could take take it or leave it when it came to beer, 
and I uh, never really drank liquor before. I mean, I had drank, but I didn't like drinking liquor. Well, it wasn't your... It wasn't, yeah. It wasn't your flavor, yeah. But, uh, but it came to It be. soon came to be, and um, I never would have thought that. Never. Especially vodka. But, man, it didn't take long. It... Uh, at first, it was for about six months. It was just beer. And what was your family saying when you first started drinking? When you get back, were they man, okay with it, or they're like, "You're not an alcoholic. As long as you don't do the math, you'll be fine." Kinda, yeah. They didn't quite get it. Uh, you know, I part of that was my fault. I didn't. I didn't go home and tell them like, "Hey, no more beer." You know. So they're a little uneducated. Right. I mean, and, and you know, yeah. I mean. You know, Which is fine. I, I used the classic addict uh, addict excuse. I said, well, I, I need to drink because I need something. And if, I, if I'm not drinking, I'm going to do meth again. You know, I, I need I, something. I need something. That's, what, what, whoa. That's my addiction. Like, yeah. Since I now using, we're getting saucy. <laughs> I need something. That's from day one. That's why I started using. Just I always felt like I needed something, and it like I mean it was so bad. If I didn't have weed, pills, or anything, I would take Tylenol. Just, just something. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with me? Have you figured that out yet? No, not no. Yet. In the we're, sense, we're, what's wrong with you in the sense of that you need something? Man, it's uh, you know, just a lot of anxiety that I've always carried around. How long do you think that anxiety's been around? Puberty I can, or before? I can trace it back. It was around puberty. Uh, I was I was around twelve, I guess. Seventh, eighth grade, middle school. Did the anxiety run parallel with the first time you ever had a drug? Yes, it does. Yeah. My timeline matches up and my timeline makes so much sense. My drug timeline or using timeline. Uh, historically, like, I, for me, I'll, I've been able to get clean a couple of times, uh, you know, early on when my son was born, I got clean. I stopped smoking weed and stopped drinking. Was it a problem or you just wanted to do it because you wanted to be a dad? Right, exactly. I just wanted to be a dad and I was, you know, 21 years old at the time. So, you know, it was, uh, but it was easy. It yeah. was easy for me to do. And then, uh. Uh, me and his mother split up. I didn't lose custody of my son, but that was a really hard, hard breakup or whatever. And uh, uh, that led to me using again. I started dating a girl who uh, had endometriosis and she was prescribed like, I don't even know how many. She would get a huge bottle of lower tabs every month. Wow. And... I mean, it was like an endless supply of lower tabs, and that became a huge problem for me. I mean, we were going through the bottle. So bottom line is, is you are not comfortable in your own skin. Which, right. Now, which parallels the first time that you ever did drugs. Yes. Interesting. Yes. That's, okay, this is a lot, and it's a common, <laughs> common, 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 common thing for all drug addicts. Because you have adolescence, you know, that's one line. And so adolescence, zero to, let's just call it 13, okay, just mm -hmm. to keep right in there. You are just going along the thing and 13 comes. And you're supposed to kind of do this little upward thing for puberty. Your ter Weston turns into his man. He starts growing hair in places he's not supposed to. And <laughs> your, his voice is changing. It's supposed to do this little thing. You're becoming a man. And But you had a drug put into you, Okay. Whether that was from the dentist, was it from the dentist? Uh, yeah. Or yeah, was that before that, like your friends are smoking weed, or you ever, or you're starting to drink? Yeah, drinking and weed came first. Okay, yeah. so you had drinking and weed come into play. We got, we got, we're gonna go to a break, but I want to set this up for the final segment that we got. So you're supposed to follow Mother Nature's natural line through puberty into manhood, and you hijacked it. Yes, I did. Not knowing it. And gave yourself an anxiety problem that you shouldn't even have <laughs> that's self-induced. You're not naturally have anxiety. I'm willing to bet the farm on it. Right. 
I hope you're right. Yeah. We're going to come right back. We're going to get more into this anxiety that Weston thinks that he has. And we're going to get to the bottom of it. So he doesn't have to do drugs anymore and he can be a badass dad. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Getting sober isn't just about not drinking and not doing drugs. It's a way of life. At Rebos, we have a team of talented professionals, each with their own clear and distinct message to walk clients from the darkest point in their lives out into the light. Rebos offers a carefully curated selection of groups and workshops in addition to a minimum of six individual sessions per week. At Rebos, we believe there are no cookie-cutter clients, and we meet every individual where they are at today. It's not a Rebos program. It's your program. Our team wants to help as many people as possible become who they want to be. And if you don't know who you want to be, we'll help you. Visit Rebostreatment.com to learn more about the Rebos Treatment Center. That's R-E-B-O-S Treatment.com. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to The Power to Create Yourself with Ross Ramin. To find out more about Ross and the program, visit the Rebos Treatment Center website at Rebostreatment.com. Now, back to The Power to Create Yourself. Hey, hey, welcome back to the show. We really appreciate you joining us for our other episode of Client Files. We have Weston with us today, and we're talking about meth and drugs and all sorts of things and where he's at now in his life. Um, you're coming on how many days? 39 days of sobriety? 39 days today. Yeah. Unbelievable. Congratulations. And Thanks. I sincerely mean that. I appreciate it. So I want to get into this last segment of why you do what you do so you don't do this again. Okay. Okay. And it was so me, what you just did. So, uh, and this is, I find this for probably 90% of the clients that I work with in the past, you know, eight to 10 years. The reason why you relapsed a year and a half ago is the same reason why you started doing drugs when you were 13. The exact same reason. You sold yourself out. You wanted to fit in and you had no spine. You had no back. Right. You didn't believe in anything. And and I'm not picking on the 13-year-old or the 12-year-old or whenever that was. He, he or she that's that age, I mean, they're just doing their best in this world. I get it. But I am blaming it on the person now, okay, <laughs> because you know better than that because you would tell your son something totally different than what you told yourself. Sure. Right? Sure. So, and every single time you make a stupid mistake, is that's the 13-year-old again. The same thing that happens. And that's what you need to figure out. You said you needed something, right? You needed something else besides yourself. Um, you, you always need something. You always feel like you do. Yes. You have never ever since the day you got, since the day you started doing drugs in your early teens, been by yourself in your head without something else. Think about that. Absolutely right. Never. So, and I'm not telling you anything that you don't know, but may, maybe maybe it's the first time that you're really like thinking, thinking about it. Now, for me, when I got straight and, the, and when it finally clicked was when I really realized that's what I'm trying not to be. 
The kid that when I started doing drugs and drinking back in high school, why did I do it? I did it because I was dying to fit in with another crowd. And I wanted the easy way in. Yeah. The easy way in. I could have gone to go flirt with a girl, which would have been a little bit of work, a little intimidating, a little scary. <laughs> or I could buy a bag of dope and have a couple of friends over. Hey, guys, I got some weed. Let's smoke this together. I've never done it before, but I want to hang out with you really, really bad. I sold myself out. Right. I sold myself out. So, and this is very important because you do this even when you're not drinking or doing drugs. This is the only Weston you know. And I say this with a lot of love and respect. Gotcha. A lot of it. But you don't. That's what you're... You already know that's not a good deal. Right. <laughs> not a good deal at all. No, you're absolutely right. But so what... Who... I wrote this down. What's the real Weston like? Mm. I mean, honestly, because if you don't figure that out, the age-old saying, they always say, if you don't believe in something, you're going to fall for everything. Yeah, I hate that one. <laughs> but it's so it is so true. true. It's so true. And uh, you've got to have three. I, you have to figure that out because your head, you lie. Your head lies to you on a I, daily basis. You are one of the most genuine dudes I've ever met. Like I just, thank you. I genuinely like you. I think you're just a, and not just because of you know our connection. Like I just like you're a guy that I would just let's go watch some football. Let's go eat like seven layer bean dip and let's go watch some football. (laughs) No, that's like, like, I honestly feel like if we hadn't met this way, we would do that. I really do. I'm not just saying that, Um, but it's, I'm watching you and it's like, you tell your things and you do it not because you want to. It's just, that's all, you know, you're right. Oh, that's absolutely the truth, man. Uh, like I just, a lot of times don't feel comfortable in my own skin and I don't know why that is. I mean, you've never given yourself the opportunity to be comfortable in your own skin. <laughs> You're right. Think about it. Yeah. Since the early teens, you have never had your own emotion without a, without a substance involved. You've yeah. never had a real emotion without it. I mean, it even goes as far as with girls. I've never been alone. I mean, it, it do all kinds of things uh, have all kinds of addict behaviors you have never and I'm not saying this to discourage you I'm saying this to give you like uh, as a bullseye you know you're not a drug addict in my opinion like I mean you are but you're not so kind of follow me Gotcha. you have not a clue who you are and you have never given yourself the opportunity to get to, to introduce yourself to your own self and that sounds really cheesy no, but you're absolutely right. You're but absolutely you literally, right. I've watched you, you sell yourself out on a daily basis. Yeah. And it's like, once the day you decide, or the minute you decide that, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm just not going to go out with anybody for a little bit. I did it for three weeks. I literally, when I was in treatment, I realized, and it was really difficult for me that I had to realize that every single thing that came out out of my mouth and into my head was a total fabrication and was a total lie. I was crushed. I was so sad. And and nobody told me it like I'm telling you right now. I was so sad because I came to I was like I was like a deer in headlights. I'm like, if if somebody told me that they lived in a three bedroom house, I told them I lived in a four, just cause. I would tell <laughs> I girls I would tell girls anything. Oh, man. Let's not even get into that. Anything. Oh. And it was like, I was like, there's nothing real about me. I can't even, <laughs> no wonder I can't find a girl to bring home to my mother because it's all lies. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't even tell people that I just, that I just had a regular job. It was like, it was, everything was just a big made up bullshit. <laughs> so, I know what you mean. I, you know, I just, I want you, you need two things you said, two things that come to me. I need something. You've always thought you needed something. Yes. Dude, you're a good looking dude. You're, uh, you're, you got your shit together. You're not a dummy. What don't you, I mean, have you, I mean, you can't even make it a real decision to say what you don't have. 
that you can't give yourself? <laughs> oh man, no, I don't. I mean, I'm I'm a very blessed person. I mean, blessed in so many ways. You say I, it, I, but you don't know it. I, yeah, I don't. I don't know why I feel like I always need something else. Well, it's habit now. <laughs> it is habit. Yeah. No, it's habit. I mean, yeah. you're just a victim of habit. Yeah. You don't know how to do life any other way. That's what it all it is now. The drugs are out of your system. The booze is out of your system. Physically, you are not a drug addict. Physically. Physically, you are not a drug addict. Now you just got to worry about this bat cave. <laughs> that, that's the tough part, huh? Yeah. Your belief and your attitude about who you are and you're having you're having stuff made up. So the sooner that you can realize that all of your emotions that you have had and your feelings that you've had have been under a um, um, have been basically under the influence, so to say, you because you your body got hijacked at an early age yeah. for 20 years, yeah. <laughs> 20 years, 20 years. That's so. not going to flip around in three months. No, it's not. But you can flip it around enough in three months that you can start seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Right. You totally can. This is 100% fixable. This is 100% doable. And there is no reason for you to get discouraged. It is totally doable. It's like you're going to have a whole new relationship with your son, your family, your everybody. Yeah. If you have a goldfish, you're going to get along a lot better now. <laughs> He'll get fed now. He'll get fed now. Yeah. Yeah, last time uh, after coming out here and going through treatment, you know, you guys gave me you guys gave me the tools that I needed to see the daylight at the end of the tunnel. Uh, one of my biggest mistakes, what I wish I would have done differently after going home, was actually using that support, the you know, aftercare support team and program that you guys – Touchdown. Had had given me, you gave me everything I needed to make that happen once I got home, and I didn't make it happen. And, uh, you know, I just went home, went straight to work. And <laughs> Are you a spiritual guy, a religious guy? I am. I am. Uh, what do you think spirituality is? Man, I had the total wrong idea of what spirituality was when I came in here. Uh, <laughs> Where are you at now? Now I am... I'm open to meditation, to to anything. I, I'm I'm still searching for. Let me tell you what it is. You want to know what it is? It's I'd really love easy. To know. Picture spirituality as a dial on a wall, like a dimmer switch. Those little round dimmer switches. Okay. Picture that. Okay. Now, the goal is this has nothing to do with God. Nothing for me. Okay. So maybe this rolls with you. You know, I believe in I believe in a God, and that's 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 another conversation for another day. And I don't care what you believe in or don't believe in. But every single person on this planet is spiritual; they're born spiritual. And to become and, and for you, I just look at you as being spiritually bankrupt, mm. and there's or spiritually unfit. And your goal is to either be spiritually profitable or spiritually fit, whatever whatever adjective you want to use. I like always I like putting everything to money. It makes more sense in my head. So I look at it as become you can, you showed up as spiritually bankrupt, okay? Right. So when you're spiritually bankrupt, your goal is to have a spiritual awakening. And awakening means it's like you wake up in bed slowly and surely. So it's a dimmer switch. You slowly turn the switch on and the lights get get brighter, okay? Okay. Now, for you to be spiritually fit, you have to get in sync and find your personal rhythm with yourself. Accept who you are. I had to accept that. I got a, I got a hairline that's a little short, okay? <laughs> I had to accept a, few, a lot of different things in my life. You know, I can't rely on my family for anything anymore, except for their love and their compassion, but not their money, not their family business, not anything like that. I, I, I'm on my own. I had to accept that. I had to accept everything. I had to accept that I'm not a fast runner. I had to accept that, you know, all sorts of things. You have to start finding out who you are and accept that for what that is. And every single day, every single day, that dimmer switch is actually has a spring-loaded little thing in it. It will go dark again. Your house has to be repainted every X amount of years. Oil has to be changed every five to 10,000 miles. You can't go to the gym in one day 
in 30 days, lose 20 pounds, and keep the 20 pounds off for the rest of your life. You have to stay on it. And every day, you always are going to look for something more for yourself. It's like every time you go to the gym, what are you doing? I'm trying to push more weight. Every single day, you should wake up and find another deep, dark spot inside of your body and clear it out and have the guts to go after it. If you don't do this, you will chase your tail for the rest of your life and you will be miserable and you will always be relying on an artificial substance for your happiness, your thoughts, your ups, your downs, everything. Until I learned that, I thought I was always spiritual. I had all these rocks and these feathers and these religious things. And <laughs> I got them on my desk here. These are all my favorites. This Buddha, blah, blah, blah. It wasn't until I realized that I need to be in rhythm with myself and accept me for who I am. And anybody else that doesn't want to do that, they can mm-hmm themselves. And if I have nothing to say that's not the truth, I literally, I don't think I've told a lie in almost 10 years. And if I have, I, I no, that's not true. Yes, I have. I have told a lie in, in the last 10 years, but immediately fixed it. As soon as I, like it, within minutes, not hours, I can't live with it. Will not do it. That's everything for you, Weston. Yeah. No, I... You got to work with that spiritual counselor you have downstairs and literally find out who you are. Meet yourself, court yourself, date yourself. Find out who the hell that is. And once you find out who that is, you got to pick three to five things that make up you, your core self. Mm. No more than five, no less than three. And these are things that are unnegotiable to anybody or any job or any place you ever go. They are you. They're 100% you. And if you don't have those, you will fail again, I guarantee it. But you have to come up with three to five things that are unnegotiable. Otherwise, you're going to fail for everything and build off of those. That's amazing. I like that. That's it. Thanks for being on my show this week. Hey, no problem. I appreciate it, man. Go get them. Enjoyed it. Guys, thanks so much for joining us this week. I'm Ross Ramin. This is The Power to Create Yourself. We're at the Rebos Treatment Center in Los Angeles, California. Um, and Weston's going to continue to kick my ass and find out who the hell he is so he doesn't do this again so he can be the best father on the planet. And um, I'll support you any way I can, man. I appreciate you, Ross. We'll see you again next week, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for joining us this week on The Power to Create Yourself. We hope to have you tune in again next Tuesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, for another edition with Ross Ramin on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have an enlightening week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.